I'm excited to share with y'all tonight. I've never worn this thing, so I'm a little bit nervous, but um, something has just been stirring in my heart for the last couple of years, and I'm excited to share it with you. I believe that God's put it on my heart just as this Christmas season is approaching, and we've been in it for the last few weeks. I just want to encourage us with something that I believe that God has put on my heart. So if y'all just pray with me, God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you, Lord, for your word, that it is timeless and it is good, God, and Every word that comes out of my mouth tonight, God, I pray that it would be to your glory, God, to your glory, Jesus. I just want to point people to you tonight, Jesus, and I pray that you would just speak through me. I thank you, God, for this time, and I pray that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Is this too close to my face? Okay. So I just want to ask a question to start off because um, I like to ask myself questions oftentimes, and I like to make people think a little bit. So I just want to ask you this question. I want you to think about it. What is your favorite part of a story? So imagine any book that you have read. If you're a reader like me, I love to read books. Imagine a book you've read, maybe a movie you've watched, or maybe a story you've heard someone tell you. What is your favorite part of the story? The greatest part of the story is not the beginning. Would everyone agree? Yes. Okay. This is when you're being introduced to people, characters are being formed, uh, you're understanding the scenes and the backdrops of the story. You need the beginning, but it's not your favorite part. And as you start to make your way through the story, good authors will create tension in the story. There's some kind of conflict that arises. And my favorite part of a story is when good and evil face each other. Lastly, Our favorite part is often three-fourths of the way through the book to the very end, right? Because this is when the plot thickens, the tension is finally coming to a crux, and then the resolution finally arrives after either if you're reading a book, like chapters and chapters, you're just like waiting for that part, and you finally flip the page, and you're like, yes, and you either cry, scream, or whatever else you're doing, you're like, it's finally here, or a movie, you're just like on the edge of your seat. We're all waiting for that part of the story where everything comes to its head. And I want to give just an illustration about what I mean. So the Bible is obviously the most sold book in all of time. The second, does anybody know what it is? Close. The Odyssey. Okay, so the Odyssey. Everybody's heard of the Odyssey, right? Now, obviously, I don't believe in mythology and all of this stuff, but we all know the story of the Odyssey. So at the end of the Odyssey... Odysseus, the main character, goes back to his hometown, and he realizes that his wife is being called upon by tons and tons of suitors. I don't know if y'all have ever read the book. I read the book in high school. I don't know. Okay, so I'm at the end here. He finally makes it home. There's tons of suitors after his wife because everyone thinks he's been dead this whole time. So he disguises himself as a beggar to go and check out the scene and what's going on. Well, his wife actually takes interest in the beggar and thinks, wow, I think that actually might be Odysseus. That might be my husband. So she decides, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to call a competition of sorts. And I am going to see who on earth is going to be able to take Odysseus's bow and take the arrow and shoot it through 12 axes and these little holes in the axes. And whoever can do that, that's the man I'm going to marry because she knows it's probably Odysseus, right? So what happens? Well, all the suitors do it and none of them are able to shoot the arrow through the bow. But then guess who does? Odysseus. 
And of course, the end is this beautiful scene of Odysseus and his wife and his son are finally reunited and there's peace in the land. Okay, now that's a great end to a story. However, if you don't know the whole story, the ending doesn't mean hardly anything. Okay, so think about this. Up until this point, this story, Odysseus has been gone from his family for 10 years. He faces this battle in Troy. He's gone 10 years. He, you think he's almost home, but then Poseidon like throws him off. He's beating a cyclops, all this crazy stuff. It takes him 10 years to finally get to his wife and his son. And so when you flip the page and you read this scene, you're like, yes, he's made it. I'm so excited. But if you've never read the beginning of the book, you wouldn't be as excited because it took all of that time to build up to this great event. And that's what makes the story so great. And so tonight, I know that's a funny intro, but tonight I was thinking that as Christmas approaches, I want us to have an understanding of every single thing that has led to this amazing point of Jesus's birth. Because I don't know about y'all, but for many years, and it's just easy to think this way, when Christmas approaches, it's easy for all of us to say, I wanna celebrate Jesus's birth because that's what we're celebrating. And oftentimes all we think of is Jesus in a manger or shepherds and angels and wise men, maybe Anna and Simeon, if you're you know, getting a little bit deeper, Zechariah and Elizabeth. But I just wanna encourage us that there is so much more to the story that leads us up to this point. And it's in my heart tonight that we would just simply see the journey to Jesus the journey that the biblical story has caused us to see to get to this point, because here's what I want us to do at the end of the night, y'all. I just want us to praise Jesus. He is so amazing. I love him. And over the last few years, of I, as I have discovered just the grandness of this story, of the Bible story, I have come to appreciate the love of God so much more because I see Jesus all throughout scripture. And if y'all know, in Luke 24, Jesus is actually on a road to Emmaus with some of his disciples. He appears to these two disciples and they're talking about what has happened. And Jesus says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Y'all, Jesus points to himself all throughout scripture. And that is exactly what I want to do tonight. I just want to kind of zoom out a bit and look at this journey to Jesus. Okay. And I'm going to use my fun little clicker thing. Okay, perfect. Okay, so how does this journey begin? If you're drawing or taking notes, you can draw this little thing. If you're visual like me, it's kind of fun. All right, so how does this journey begin? We all know that the journey begins with the perfect garden and the perfect problem. I just can imagine, I can't, well, I can't really imagine God dwelling with man in such a way that he would walk with, God, walk with Adam and Eve every single day, that there was perfect union that there was love, that there was joy, that there was peace. I mean, y'all, we are going to get to experience that one day. And when I read the beginning of the Bible, I'm like, oh, I want that. I long for that. I want to be right next to God. I want to walk hand in hand with him. But we all know that man sinned. Man decided to shake his fist at God and say, I want to decide what is right and wrong. I want to decide what I can do. I don't want to follow after you. I want to decide what's right and wrong. And so we know that men were separated by sin. You guys, we are separated by sin. Isaiah tell, tells us that. We are separated by what we have done, and all of us have this need for a savior. 
Adam and Eve needed a perfect human, a perfect Adam who could restore things back the way they were intended to be. So he is going to use, after sin, he is going to use Abraham and his numerous as the stars family to bring the blessing of God to the world. He promised Abraham that he would always be faithful even if Abraham was not. And y'all just begin to think about the mercy of God through this entire story. Then Abraham's family goes into Egypt through the redeeming story of Joseph, and then they're led out of captivity through the powerful story of Exodus and Moses. Okay, hold on. I can't even read my own thing up there. Okay, so then we come to our next part of the story. So we have a promise. Oh, I even passed promise of a rescuer. You guys see? I'm nervous. This is my first time up here. Okay, I missed the most important part. Genesis 3.15. After man had sinned, God promised that one would come. This is my favorite line in the Bible, to crush the head of the serpent. I say it, me and Felix say it all the time, the serpent crusher. God, God promises that one was going to come to crush the head of the serpent, restore that relationship back with man. And in Genesis 12, one of my favorite scriptures, God tells Abraham, Abraham, I am going to bless you so that you can bless everyone. I am going to bless you so that you can bless everyone. And what did he mean by that? He meant that one was going to come through Abraham's line that was going to bless the entire world. And we know that that was Jesus. And all throughout scriptures, we see this come to its head. Okay, so that is the promise that God gave. And then we come next to the priest. So first we have the promise, and now we have the priests. So we know that after the Israelites were rescued by God from Egypt, God instituted a covenant with Israel through Moses, which included the role of sacrifice and priests. These priests, specifically the high priests, were supposed to teach the law. They were supposed to atone for sins. And specifically, the high priest, you guys, was the only one who was able to enter into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. This is a beautiful shadow of what is to come, and I thank God for the law that he gave Moses. But y'all, imagine being an Israelite. Imagine sinning and then having to go and take your offering and your sacrifice to a priest to make atonement on behalf of your sin. Imagine not being able to go into the Holy of Holies. Imagine not being able to have what we have. Can you imagine? We have it so good compared to the Israelites at that time. The people of Israel were not able to enter into God's presence like we were today. And it's just a sad thought that if you sinned, someone else would have to go in on your behalf. That's what the priest's job was. So after the death of Moses... This was instated. The Israelites were led across the Jordan into the promised land by their new leader, Joshua. And then after the Israelites conquered their territory and then Joshua passed away, the next part of our story comes into play. And this is the book of Judges. I don't know about y'all. Has anybody ever read Judges all through its way? I mean, it is a crazy book. Like, don't ever suggest someone to read that one first because they're going to be like, what is happening? It is just filled with sin. Like, it is just crazy. So at this time, after this had happened, the book of Judges tells us that these leaders raise up and that they're like civil and military leaders and that they're going to lead the people of Israel. But y'all, the judges were far from perfect. They were to instill justice and peace among the people. However, the whole book shows like this downward spiral. It's just this cycle over and over again. It's the people of Israel mess up. 
someone comes and takes them captive. They call on God and repent. A new judge is risen up. The judge saves them. They're like, yay, we're going to follow God forever. And then what happens? They do the exact same thing again. And you're like, oh, you're so dumb. What are you doing? And then, of course, we see ourselves and like, oh, yeah, you're right. But, like, they go in this whole downward spiral, and it just gets worse and worse and worse every single time. And, y'all, these judges were not perfect. Like, Samson, not a good guy, okay? Like, we have all these Bible stories, and the kids are like, yeah, Samson's real great. Nope, not a good guy. But God's spirit fell upon him and was still able to use him in the midst of everything that they walked through. The people of Israel had this time, y'all, I just want y'all to understand, they had absolutely no regard for what God wanted. They were supposed to bring justice, and not only were they supposed to bring justice to their own people, but they were supposed to show the mercy and character of God to everyone, but they didn't, and they constantly were disregarding the widow, the orphan, the poor, and so these judges were trying to help this situation, but Israel needed a righteous judge to show true justice to the world. They needed that, you guys. But at the end of the book of Judges, it's this famous line that sums up the whole book. And it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was this hope and cry in Israel for a righteous leader, a righteous king, a righteous person to come. And in this next section we have, so we have the Judges Now we have the kings. So they're praying for this king. They want someone to come and lead them. They want someone to come and be righteous and rule their kingdom and lead them in the way of God. So they're crying out to this. And God says, you know, Samuel, just let him have it. And so we know we have Saul, not a great king. We have David, a man after God's own heart, but still not a great king, which I have a funny story about this. I'll just add into here. It was hilarious. The other day, Haven and I were flipping our little advent blocks that we have for Christmas. And on this particular advent uh, calendar, there's a story of Hagar. And uh, Haven was like, who is Hagar? It's like, okay, are we about to open up this can? <laughs> All right, well, baby Hagar, you remember, remember how Abraham was promised by God that his family would be as numerous as the stars, but he was really old and he didn't have a baby? She was like, yeah, of course. And I was like, well, Abraham didn't believe God at that moment. And he decided to have his own way with Hagar. She was like, but what? I thought he was married to Sarah. It's like, well, he was. (laughs) She was like, what? I don't understand. And I was like, well, baby. And then it led into this whole conversation of everybody in the Bible that did great things for God really was imperfect and really messed up. And that's the beauty of the Bible, that we still can do that. Like, we still can be followers of God. Even though we mess up, he can still use us too. And so I was telling her all this. She was like, so Abraham messed up? I thought he was Jesus' favorite. (laughs) And I was like, well, I don't know if Jesus has favorites. She goes, wait a minute. Everyone messed up, but not King David, right? (laughs) I was like, oh, negative. I was like, he was kind of the worst of all. So all that goes to show, like, David was, he was a man after God's own heart. But, y'all, he was extremely dysfunctional in his family. He was not a good father. He was an adulterer. Even Solomon, not a great king. Y'all, it it just goes to show you that Israel wanted a king, but there was no human that could be what they needed. There was no person that could fulfill exactly what God intended, but yet it was a shadow of what was to come. So eventually, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms, 
and due to their rebellion against God and division amongst the tribes, y'all, Israel needed a king that was righteously going to rule. And during this, there also came the prophets. So these were people who would speak the words of God, and God implored, I mean, I was reading through the, I'm reading through the prophets right now, I'm going through the Bible, I'm reading through Isaiah, and I'm just like, I'm floored at how much God's heart was shown through his prophets. He literally just implored and begged his people, please return to me. Come back to me. You're, you're giving me all this lip service, but all I want is your heart. You're doing these sacrifices, but your heart is far from me. Please turn to me and you'll escape captivity. But as we know, you guys, this kingdom split, and then eventually Assyria and Babylon took them all into captivity. And these prophets were trying to remind the people of Israel of his statutes, trying to encourage them in faithfulness to him, yet still there was no perfect prophet who could come and save the people from this downward spiral. And eventually the people would end up in captivity. Once again, they needed a perfect prophet whose words they could follow. So after all of these things, we see Adam, the priests, the judges, the kings, and the prophets Imagine here we are at the climax of our story. And I want you to imagine, what would this be like if you were reading the Bible for the very first time? Imagine you have never heard this story. And you're sitting down in your comfy chair with your coffee or wherever it might be. Or you're a missionary and you're telling this story to somebody for the very first time. And they're on the edge of their seat and they're thinking, Oh my gosh, what is going to happen next? When is this person coming that God promised in Genesis? Like, is he coming? He wasn't the priests. He wasn't the kings. He wasn't the prophets. He wasn't the judges. They're probably thinking it's going to be somewhere in there, but it's taken all this time. And as you finish the last book of the Old Testament, you turn the page over to the Gospels. And all of us honestly hate Matthew 1, right? Does everybody know what Matthew 1 is? We're like, oh, this list again. Let me just skip on through. But can you imagine if you were reading the Bible for the very first time? Sorry, this gets me choked up because it's so beautiful. And you flip that page after 400 years of silence and you read this list and you go, oh my gosh, I remember that name. I remember reading about Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah, and Perez, and Tamar, and all of these people, Rahab, David, Solomon, Jehoshaphat, all of these people, you rem- I remember reading about them, and oh my gosh, someone is about to come from this giant line, who can it be? Who is it? Is this the person that God had promised? Is this the one that has finally come? God promised he would bring someone through all of these people, maybe this is it. Maybe at the end of Matthew 1, this is where... Jesus is going to come. And then you read through the gospels, you read the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then Gabriel appears to Mary and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the one that is going to come and rescue the people from their sin. His name is Jesus. Then you read about Bethlehem, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, the one that the people of Israel have been waiting for is finally here. Can you imagine 
Like we have grown up in church and we've heard this story all our lives that it doesn't affect us like it should. But as a, as a reader reading this for the first time or someone as a Jew seeing the Messiah actually come in flesh, can you imagine the beauty of the promise literally sitting right before you? I mean, I just imagine Anna and Simeon as they beheld Jesus thinking, I can now die. Because I've seen the one that I've waited for my entire life. I've seen him. I've beheld him. And guess what he's going to be? He is going to be every single thing that Israel failed at. He is going to be the perfect Adam. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Did you know that where you fail, where Adam failed, where humanity fails, where we should deserve death? You guys, the second Adam, the perfect human has come to bring life where he brought death at the beginning. It's amazing. It's amazing. And yet we don't let it keep us in awe. Okay. He is the perfect Adam. But not only is that, he is the perfect priest. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 4.14-16 says, Therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You guys, when you mess up, you no longer have to feel shame and bring your offerings to someone else to atone for your sins. That is amazing. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to someone else. Do you know what you get to do? Whenever Jesus died on that cross, it says the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. And you were able to say, I'm going in. I believe and no matter what I've done, no matter how much I've sinned, no matter how much I've failed today, I get to go in and I get to experience the presence of the almighty God because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. I don't know about y'all, but I need that every single day of my life. And you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to go to the priest at the end of the day or wait in line, smell the disgusting blood of animals. All you have to do is when you mess up, literally right immediately after I yelled at my kids, God, I'm so sorry. And he's right there with you. You have the presence of the almighty God literally right in front of you because of this high priest. Is that not amazing? No matter what you have done, no matter your past, no matter what you're going to do tomorrow because you are going to mess up, he is right there. And that is because of my Jesus. That is because of your Jesus. And we get to experience the love of the father and his presence because of what that high priest has done. So not only is he that perfect Adam, he's that perfect priest, he is the perfect judge. In John 5, it says that Jesus now has the right from the Father to be the perfect judge. Everything that God wanted to do, Jesus did. Think about the world we live in. Y'all, this world is in disarray. This world is crazy. It's insane. I mean, it's just 
every time we turn on the news or look at something, I'm, I'm honestly disgusted and just want to turn it off. This world seems in disarray, but we can remember that our perfect, loving Father has sent Jesus to be an amazing, perfect, loving judge that is always going to do what is right. We don't have to worry what the world tells us about what is right and wrong. All we have to look to is his word and Jesus because every single thing that God wants to accomplish is accomplished through Jesus as judge. We can hold on to hope in in this dark world, you guys, that God is going to execute his love, his mercy, his hope, and his light to all who believe and that one day he is going to completely get rid of darkness and evil and Satan for all eternity. That is our perfect judge, y'all. And that is an amazing hope through Jesus that we get to hold on to. Amen. So he's our perfect Adam, our perfect priest, our perfect judge. And he is our perfect king. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, one of the most quoted scriptures during Christmas time. So beautiful. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Revelation 19 says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hebrew says he is the radiance of the glory of God. And I love this. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Y'all, when we feel like our governmental systems fail, do you understand that we are not citizens of this kingdom? Yes, I love America. Yes, I love the freedoms it brings. But oh my gosh, I am a citizen of a kingdom that is so much greater. I have a king who is lovely and who is worthy and who is mighty and is powerful. But not only is that, is he is caring and he is kind. And everything he wants to do upon this earth is for good. He loves us. We get to be citizens that are not afraid of a dictatorship or a kingship, but we can sit and rest knowing that our king is good. He is a good king. He is a good father. He is one who is honorable and who cares about people. Y'all, that is the king that we serve, King Jesus. And lastly, he is our perfect prophet. Acts 3.22 said, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off. Y'all, we can trust that Jesus' words are straight from the Father because he said it himself. We can hope in his words until he comes again, that his words are true, that his words are light, that every single thing that comes out of the mouth of Jesus is directly from the Father. He is that perfect prophet that never failed, that always speaks truth, and that directs God's words directly into our life and into the world around us. Y'all, he is the fulfillment of being that perfect prophet. So I just want to encourage us tonight, as we see this journey of Jesus unfold, 
as we see this creation and peace with God, this promise of a rescuer, the priests, the judges, the kings, the prophets, and then the birth of Jesus that is coming to fulfill all of this, after that we see the beautiful death and resurrection of Jesus, which God could spend forever on because it's so amazing. But that's where we come in. The church, that's where we come in. And I want to encourage us that we are getting back to that place, you guys. We are getting back to eternal peace with God because everything that we just read is being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That one day, everything that started at the beginning because of us, we messed it up, is going to be completely restored because of the person of Jesus. And we will get to live on a new heaven and a new earth with Jesus as the light because there will be no need for light. There will be no tears, no sadness, no pain. I just can't wait to be in that place because of my King Jesus. And you guys, I just want to encourage us because this beautiful story of Christmas is not just about Jesus's manger, okay? It is that. It is. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It is that. But if we understand that there is so much that leads up until this story, it makes the story of Jesus so much more beautiful. And you realize, oh my God, you have been waiting years and years and years and people still don't follow you. God, I don't get it. All of the beauty throughout scripture and yet people still chose to say, no, you're not the Messiah. But y'all, can we thank God tonight, those of us who have chosen to follow, those who have chosen to believe that I do have a perfect Adam. I do have a perfect priest. I do have a perfect judge. I do have a perfect king. I do have a perfect prophet. You guys, I know that Jesus is the most amazing person in the entire universe. And I know we all will say that, but I just want us to worship him tonight like he really is. Because oftentimes in the busyness of Christmas, and we're, we're only a few days away, we're all probably thinking, I still have stocking stuffers again, I gotta wrap presents, and I gotta cram all the stuff in for my kids so that rem- they'll remember their great childhood. And I like, can we just stop and just focus on the beauty of Jesus? Because every single thing about Christmas is just going to completely vanish one day. But what's going to stand true is I want to know that this beautiful baby in a manger, that this humble, lowly king has been prophesied for years and years and years. And now I finally get to behold him, follow him, and praise him for the rest of my life. Y'all, it's just a beautiful thing to witness. So y'all can, instruments, y'all can come up. And tonight, I just want this altar call to be simple. If you need to repent of something before the Lord, then amen, then come and do that before the Lord. But I just want this to be a joyous time. Y'all, we have the most amazing God We have the most amazing son and we have the most amazing Holy Spirit. And as we looked at Jesus tonight being the fulfillment of every single thing for Christmas, can we not just behold Jesus? Can we not just come up into these altars and just praise Jesus? That's what I want tonight to be. I just want it to be a joyous time where his people respond to that message and say, thank you, God, for sending this perfect Adam. I couldn't be that. Thank you, God, for sending a perfect priest. I could not atone for my sin. Thank you, God, for being the perfect judge. I don't know what's right and wrong. You have to bring justice into this world. God, I am not a perfect king over my life. 
life. I need you to lead me and guide me and I want to be in your kingdom. God, I want you to be my perfect prophet. God, I just pray that as we stand here in this altar, can we just worship Jesus? He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration. Jesus, even now, let's just raise our hands. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of your honor, God. And as the angels sing around your throne, so we too join in with them, God. As Angie is singing around your throne tonight, God, I want to join our praise and sing worthy is the land.